Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Welcome to Absurdity with Ryan Becker. Hey guys, I'm going to be as quick as possible. Thank you guys so much for listening to Absurdity. Actually, just yesterday on April 29, we just hit 3,000 downloads for Absurdity total since I started tracking them in about October, November-ish. So thank you guys so much for listening to this. It means the world to me that anyone would be impacted by what I'm doing here. I want to let you know of a couple things. First of all, we do have a giveaway that's still going on until May 1st. May 1st, 11.59.59 p.m. is the cutoff. May 2nd, we will be announcing the giveaway winner for a $50 Amazon gift card. The winner will be drawn at random, so if I know you, sorry. Um, and hopefully, I will be able to figure out whoever it is that has one and i can message them but you you will be able to check it out by going to absurd the absurdity.org slash giveaway and that'll be announced may 2nd as well as my twitter at ryan 180 becker the other thing i want to let you know as we dive into today's episode is something i haven't done yet this is not a paid advertisement by any stretch um, of the term this is something that i wanted to do because a friend of mine has done something really cool his name is jordan putt and he created an EP. It was recorded from scratch all in Southern's dormitory. And it is an amazing EP. It's called Honest to God. And you can find it on Spotify, iTunes, pretty much any streaming service. But I asked Jordan to do me a favor and send me a couple of the tracks. So this week and next week, you'll hear uh, different tracks played out. Uh, what I'm going to do is... Instead of the typical transition music you'd hear, you're instead going to hear a song called Untitled slash Give Me Jesus. And I'm not going to play the whole song. 
Uh, I'm just going to play a short snippet of it, and then you'll go straight into today's conversation with Andrew Nobly. And then at the very, very end of the podcast, if you want to hear the whole song or the rest of the song, I'll put it all at the very, very end for you. Um, but thank you guys so much. I really hope you like it and check it out and uh, go download it, go stream it. It is an amazingly raw and honest album. If you like Sufjan Stevens, if you like some more of this kind of folk acoustic style, it's very laid back, um, a lot of orchestral instruments in it as well. It's just a beautiful EP and I'm incredibly impressed with what he has put together. So here is Untitled slash Give Me Jesus and then our conversation with Andrew Anoboli. In the morning when I rise Get out of bed, run my eyes And wonder how I'm gonna make it through the day Cause the weeks go by like seconds Days go by like months Before I get a chance to breathe A new one has begun Won't you soothe my troubled mind So I can get some rest Cause I've given up pretending That I'm the one who knows what's best You said come to me with your burdens If you're weary I will love you It's been weighing on my mind It's been weighing on my mind Hey guys, welcome back to Absurdity. I am Ryan Becker and I am really glad you are listening. This week, we have a different Anobly on. I know we've had Tony on several times, but I happen to be best friends with both Tony and his brother, Andrew. What's up, guys? So Andrew is now on the podcast today because all weekend long in Michigan, I've been staying at Andrew and Tony's apartment. Um, now, I don't know if they say Tony and Andrew's apartment or Andrew and Tony's. I, I feel like it depends on which one of you It really talking. depends on who's talking and what who you ask. trying to impress? Is that, is that, is it, um, if Tony's trying to impress a girl, it's his apartment. If you're trying to impress a girl, it's... More or less. And because you were both trying to impress me, it's our apartment. Yes, it's the two of us joined. Yes, it's yeah, our okay. apartment. <laughs> That's fair. I can understand that. Um, so, yeah, Andrew's on the podcast. I um, am really excited about this because Andrew is someone. Here's the thing about podcasts. A lot of people do it and they're just like, I just want to get all my friends on the podcast because they whatever. Like, I'm not about that. I've had a, I've had a lot of my friends on because it's your circle. But... The main reason I choose people to be on here is because I think they have something to say. I value their perspective or opinion on whatever topic we're talking about or on a wide variety of topics. And Andrew happens to be one of those people. But the funny thing about Andrew is that he is also the fastest best friend I've ever had. <laughs> and I don't mean that in speed. Um, a few years ago, I worked out in Arizona, and that, this is like how we met. But I don't want to tell this story. I want Andrew to tell this story of how we met in Arizona. Fantastic. All right. So so this is basically how it went down. Uh, I, I meet Ryan. He's in this youth camp meeting tent. And you were there working with Pastor Benjamin Lundquist and the youth team. And uh, we happened to be on our way to the cafeteria together the same hour that we met. And in that moment, we started talking. I don't know how, but the conversation led to personality theories. And we talked about how we were both outgoing introverts and immediately you said something, your eyes got big, my eyes got big, and we had this connection where we knew from then on, you said, are we just best friends? And I said, yes, we yeah, are. It's like that scene, what, what, Stepbrothers? Stepbrothers, yeah. Did we yeah. just become best friends? Yes, yes we, we did. did. Yup. Um, yup. 
So that's literally like, I know that there are people that say like, oh, we got a connection and then they like never see each other again. Right, right. Uh, that hasn't happened with us. It, not only did we become best friends that summer, we ended up uh, rooming together, sort of, uh, in, <laughs> <laughs> while we were, see, Andrew, Andrew had some extra perks at summer camp because his dad was a conference official. Uh, we took advantage for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. So, so, so he got to stay in a nicer, some nicer amenities on occasion. Hey, I'll take it. When you're uh, working with those kids all summer, no, I'll take no, it. I absolutely understand. I was not <laughs> mad at you at all, but we did room together uh, that summer after only have meeting, like meeting a week before that. Um, and, uh, he is someone who I've remained really close friends with. We, um, at the end of that summer, I taught him how to drive stick shift. We fit both of our dorm rooms worth of stuff in a Honda Civic SI. Yes, we did. Taught him how to drive stick shift two days before we then drove from Phoenix, Arizona, all the way to College Jail, Tennessee, which is a 27-hour drive, but because you're going across three time zones, it really comes out to about 30 hours, but not but 27 hours of driving. Yep. And um, we and I will it, say, no stops. Quick no stops. And I will say, if you ever go across the country, no stops. Let me just let, let you know how it's going to go a little bit. <laughs> the, the first trek, the first day, is going to be fantastic. The first 12 hours, yeah, amazing. Are, are incredible. You and, and your best friend or whoever's going with you are going to have a phenomenal conversation. You're going to have a wonderful time. And then soon as nightfall hits, it's going to get bad. It's going to get rough. You're going to have crazy thoughts. Oh, it's going to be the worst thing you've ever experienced <laughs> in your life. Uh, because you're going to want to stretch. You're going to. Here's the thing: we fit two dorm rooms worth of stuff in a Honda Civic Si. There is no putting your seat down, like putting your seat back and resting if you're the passenger. There's none of that. Um, even when you woke up after you took multiple hour nap, you did not feel rested. You did not feel like there's any type of reprieve. No, 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 situation. And here's the thing: like the first day was great, right? The first night, first day was great. We stopped at Del Taco on the way out of Phoenix. Um, and and drove through the night no problem though the first night was a little weird we had some spark issues on a semi truck there was a fire in the middle of the rain off in the distance which or was we weird because it was raining and yet there was a fire yeah off in a field to the left of us and then like the next morning hit and that's when like the drive really started to get real and then suddenly we hit Arkansas I really think we could give it away I don't think we'd miss it I I kind of do too now no arkansas people are cool people yes yes we're not we're not right? at all degrading all arkansas right? people but the state itself at, the least, drive what we drove through, through. at least what we drove through yeah right? we were looking forward to like going through little rock because I'd, i've heard good things about little rock um i have yet to see the good things from little rock <laughs> based on what we based on what we drove through uh we did end up saying taco bell in little rock for lunch uh, we did we did day. and but, somehow it was worse <laughs> I don't. I don't understand it. Maybe we were just tired. Possibly, and whatever state we. It was the same though. Like that's the thing. That entire stretch of highway through, and I forget what highway. It was like three years ago, four years ago. I think that was the forty. Um, yeah, it was, I think it was highway forty. Yeah. So or whatever, um, whatever highway runs, whatever interstate runs east and west through Little Rock, basically, is the one we're talking about. Um, you hope. Um, you hope you'll see some varying things. It's the end of summer. It's like it's late July. Uh, all the trees look exactly the same. The humidity is gross. Like the weather was nasty. Um, it's just really hot and muggy. It just was not a great experience. No, and, and the thing is, is, is some places like you go through the New Mexico desert and while it's rough, it's at least flat and you can go through 
in Arkansas, it was no hills, no mountains, no terrains that looked good for the landscape, and it was hills up and down. So you're not even going flat. You're going up and down, which adds to the nausea of the experience. So it was just yeah, rough exactly. all the way yeah. around. Yeah. Now, at the end of that drive, we both got out and kissed the ground. Amen, um, hallelujah. We, we made it, and we did it. We both have the bucket list now checked. We road-tripped across the U.S. Um, with a best friend and without stopping for hotels, saving a ton of money. Tons of money. At the cost of our sanity. Yes. And, uh, but we have that story now, which is great, and I, I really appreciated that time. It's a great. It's honestly like it's a great memory. It really is a great memory. I, I just repress that one you know, part of it. But you know uh, what? It's fun to complain about, and we have a story about it, and yeah, we, can, yeah. we can resonate together. So. so now, if you're still listening uh, and you live in Arkansas, we love you. Uh, we're <laughs> yes. proud of your ability to laugh at yourself because chances are you heard this and either went, they're terrible human beings, or you listened to this and thought, ha-ha, yeah, I totally know what they're talking about. <laughs> Um, and if you want to write in and book us a flight to Arkansas and prove us wrong on the change our minds, like by all means, by all means, I'm happy to do so. Um, so that's how we met. And that's how the same summer became best friends, drove across the U S together. Uh, now Andrew is studying at the seminary to, uh, become a pastor. And so he's up here. When you graduate two years from recording date? I will graduate December of 2019. Okay, so a year and a half from basically recording. Not actually a year and a half, but a year and like nine months from recording date. So yes, um, he'll be here for one semester. Uh, that I'll, our, our times here will overlap by one semester. And uh, I'll be able to see him off when I move up here eventually. So, Andrew, let's uh, get right into... I said right in. We're eight minutes into the podcast. <laughs> let's, let's get, let's right, get right into let's, it. Let's jump right in. Um, I asked you, hey, come on the podcast and, and hit me with a topic that you want to talk about, something that you think is important. So um, go ahead and introduce us to what that is. Yes, thanks, Ryan. So uh, I've been taking this time at the seminary to really focus on what I think the world needs today as far as coming from the church. Where Where is God at work today? And one of the biggest questions and themes that I've been seeing is, what does it mean to be of one mind together? What does it mean to be of unity and, and oneness? And so I've been actually working on a project, um, a book that's been been going on for a few months now, to discuss this concept of what it means to be of one mind. All right, cool. That's great. Um, I, I don't know why. I heard you. You were staring at me. We had this moment, eyes locked, and I was like, is he going to go on? That was it, that was Ryan. It. That's, okay, the, so that's one the premise. So you're talking about spiritually, right? So this is this is within the body of Christ, or do you mean like like society in general, culture? Uh, how specific are we, are we talking? If we're going to get contextually to what the Bible is talking about, this was with reference to Christianity and to the body of Christ. However... Okay. I do think that this extends far just beyond the body of Christ. I think this is a global concept because I think we as a society, as human beings, are struggling with this as well, of what it means to be in agreement and to be unified together. And how do we come to that place? Okay. Um, So is this something... I'm with you on this. I I think this is a really important topic. Um, So I'm tracking with you. My question is, do you think that this is something that you've wrestled with personally that now you've kind of, I don't want to say projected because then you're ignoring that personal side. Um, but do you think it's, do you think it's kind of been exacerbated by personal experiences with, with that? Do you think it's been amplified or impacted at all? Or is this just something you've thought about on that level and actually you're perfectly fine and normal and 
No, it's absolutely comes from a, a place of personal experience and, and personal growth and humility um, because I've learned over the years where my biases have been, where they still need to grow. Um, I've learned over the years where I have not been in a unifying attitude and a unifying spirit. Um, and I've damaged people, and I've had to deal with that that difficulty, that guilt um, that has proved to be uh, beneficial for my growth because it's led to forgiveness. It's led to understanding and uh, and has kind of stopped my own ignorance. But because of this, because of this knowledge and this growth, now that I'm seeing the same mistakes I made out in the world, I, I want to do something to help the people that I see who are experiencing the similar things I fell into. Gotcha. Do you think there is... Um... This is now that I'm like thinking and now that I'm actually asking you this question, I think it's a dumb question. But if I don't ask it, everyone's (laughs) going to be like, what was the question? Um, The question is, do you think there are times where being in oneness of mind or being unified in in what in body or spirit or mind? um, Do you think there are times where that is a dangerous thing and what makes it dangerous? That's a good question. Uh, I definitely it's not a dumb question. It's no, it's a good question. I think that's absolutely essential. And I think it is dangerous. Okay, you think it is or it can't? Oh, it be? absolutely is. Okay, so it is. No matter dangerous. what. Okay. Um, by, that's not where I thought you were going to go. No, by choosing unity, we make a choice to go countercultural no matter where we go. Mm. Because unity is not the natural trend. The natural trend is to go to your own. Okay. Yeah, and those yeah, yeah. who are similar to you, those who think similarly to you, those who believe similarly to you. Um, absolutely. Familiarity is where we like to go, it breeds comfort. Um, and where there is difference, there is danger every time because it's the unknown. Yeah. Um, but it's learning to believe that there's something greater beyond that danger. Okay. I can see that. See, when, when, and the reason I thought it was a dumb question because I was like, well, yeah, it can be dangerous when the ideas that you're unified around are dangerous. So cults, um, things like that, like that's, that's where I was like, that's why that's a dumb question. But the way you answered it makes it sound like a super profound question. And I'm going to go with what <laughs> I'm going to just go with what you hey, said. Anything I can do, buddy. Uh, it is midnight while we're recording this. And it's been a long day, uh, <laughs> mainly for you. Oh, so my goodness. I, um, and I've got a lovely drive tomorrow. So, um, okay. So it, it, it definitely can be dangerous on all fronts. I think it is a dangerous thing um, because the other, the other half of it is, is there's a power dynamic. Because when you do have that many people unified or when you have a, a large group of people unified, there's a lot of power there. And typically there's some unifying force, right? Absolutely. Um, people tend to be drawn towards figureheads. This is why we have statues. This is why we have names, streets named after heroes, things like that. Like we tend to unite around things. Uh, Civil War is, a, you know, the Marvel, uh, the Marvel comic books, the, the, the story arc of Civil War and the movie Civil War, you... Captain America, are you on Iron Man's side? We tend to kind of revolve around some sort of unifying forces. And typically that ends up with, if you're talking about ideologies in general, I think it does end up going towards, all right, well, then you're automatically against this competing ideology. We also saw this in Twilight, as much as I hate to reference Twilight in this, but there was (laughs) Team Edward, Team Jacob. Uh, There are unifying forces. And if that unifying force is a person then that person has a lot of influence or, or, or a group of people has a lot of power inherent and they have a lot of influence inherent. It's scary. Um, yes, it absolutely. is a scary thing when you realize that, wait a minute, I actually have influence in this, whatever sphere we're in. I lead churches and that's scary enough like, right. for me. I lead small churches and I'm like, Oh wow. They really will listen to me on this. Um, and then I think back to some sermons I've preached and I'm like, <laughs> 
why did I preach that? That was dumb. That was stupid. <laughs> um, and I feel like I've abused the influence I've been given. Um, so I do think that there, there's danger in also what you what you have unified around. Um, if you haven't unified around something that's inherently good or positive or moral, right? And I think you touched on something there that I want to I want to go off of. You said power; it's inherent in power, and I think that is it's a central theme that you have to understand when you're talking about unity, because how a person or cultural group or community decides to live out that power or lack thereof will determine how greatly the bonds are going to be towards unity. Mm. Um, A cultural group that has a high value of power is going to cling to their cultural group much stronger and is going to be much more resistant to accepting a different group and to listening to a different ideology. When you have more collectivist cultures that don't necessarily value the power structure as highly, it's much more understanding that a community census or consensus is valued. And so coming down to that and going as well off of what you said on ideologies is absolutely the answer. What ideology are we deciding to unify around? What is it that is truly going to create the type of unity that we want to create a better world? Because there are several ideologies that from their perspective, they think this is a safe and good and holy and whatever you want to call it ideology. And I would actually argue that from 99% of groups, they probably all think that way. Absolutely. Like every, no, it is very rare that the villain knows they're the villain, unless you're like in a weird movie trope. Well, unless you have a narcissistic or psychopathic personality. Who's trying to be the who's villain. Who's trying yeah, to actively. be the villain actively. Yeah. For the most part, it is the fallen hero in a sense where you just tweak them slightly, give a different motive, and they are the hero of the story. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, like Westboro Baptist Church does not see themselves as a villain. No, they see themselves as righteous heroes. Bingo. But the rest of us see a lot of stuff they do as inherently wrong or immoral or unethical at best. Um, And so they're they're like a prime example in my book of people who, I mean, terrorists would be another one, Islamic terrorists. Um, uh, Even those who, I mean, who was uh, the the Unabomber? Unabomber, his whole manifesto was political in nature. Yes, uh, absolutely. Thought he was doing something righteous. I, I, to my knowledge, maybe I, it's been a while since I've read that manifesto, so I could be wrong. Maybe he did know he was a villain. There's a lot of people in history who thought they were the hero, um, and so it's it, it's even the the ideologies we surround ourselves with. Um, it can be really hard to figure out. Okay, what's good? What's bad? How do I navigate this correctly? And how do I know I'm on the good side? Absolutely. I, I think one of the most classic examples is. Um, an assassination of Abraham Lincoln where Hmm. John Wilkes Booth genuinely believed that he was doing the right thing Uh, in that, in that act, in a, in a act of complete terror in which we would, you know, as we look at the story, I just, I just watched the the film Lincoln again. Um, He really thought that he was doing something right by assassinating this incredible man. Um, Coming, coming a little closer to home, nine 11 attacks were done in the name of righteousness, not in the name of villainy. They weren't done because these people generally thought they were doing a bad thing for the world and just wanted to see the world burn, to quote the Dark Knight. These were people who genuinely thought they were making the world a better place. Yeah. And we're not trying to like justify any of this. Not at all. We're saying that it's possible to fall into that trap. What we're Absolutely. S- what we're saying is that ideology is what creates this type of unifying power. And ideology is amoral. 
because on the one hand, you can have completely conflicting ideologies. As a pastor, um, there was a time when we were talking about how we were just to praise and worship. And from one perspective, to not get up and praise the Lord and be loud and stand was disrespectful to God and dishonoring. While on the other hand, there was another cultural group who believed that to express that loudly, to not be reverent, was dishonoring. Mm. So you have directly two completely contradictory views hoping for the same premise, that is to honor God, but coming from two completely different ideologies. There is a, that's one of my favorite videos on the internet, and I'm going to put it in the show notes, a link to the YouTube video. It's a sketch. Uh, I think it's Mitchell and Webb who do it. Um, I just Googled it while we were sitting here. Uh, it's the Are We the Baddies sketch. Have you, I don't know if you, have you seen this I've one? I've never seen this one. So it's two Nazis sitting in a, in a camp during World War II, and one of them goes, one of them looks at his friend and he's like, so I've been thinking, are, are we the baddies? Are we the bad guys? He's like, no, we're not the bad guys. And he's like, well, well, look at our logo. Like, and, and this is like a Nazi sketch. So it's not like they're actual Nazis in this, but it's implied that they're Nazis, but they're, they're all their ideal, all their logos and everything, all their branding and is similar is different. It's like, well, hold on. Our logo is a, is, is a skull and crossbows. Like, <laughs> like the guy's like slowly realizing, like, like, wait a minute. If we're the bad guys, why is everything we're doing so terrible? And it's just this great, like, it's this great moment of personal realization. It, the delivery is perfect. Everything about it is wonderful. And if anyone hasn't seen that video, like, they need to. But it's a great, it's a great, um, it's a great example, I think, of what happens when we do start to reflect on our worldviews, our ideologies, to see uh, what's good, what's bad, why is it good, why is it bad, and where should I end up at the end of this road? Right, and and looking throughout human history, the nature of this ideological understanding and behavioral groups it is the same as it was. It's been forever. These groups have changed their names. They've changed their uh, central drive at times, but the same human drive for one or the other concept is, is the same as it's always been. History repeats itself. Human nature is human nature is human nature. Yeah. So, okay, so we have some biblical examples. I know that you wanted to share, and we'll get through that. But I, I, I want to spin this a little bit before, right before we jump into that, because I do believe uh, we talked about how it can be dangerous, but unified in oneness, unity, um, and in ideology can be a really good thing, too. It can be, it's what is used to drive a lot of good and positive changes in the world that are absolutely needed. And so this episode is not, like, we're not talking that, about unity being a bad thing. We're saying it definitely, it's, it's a responsibility, Oh, absolutely. I, I think that's where we kind of land. Absolutely. And, and thank you for, for doing that, Ryan. We need to clarify this. Unity is necessary. Unity is not just a good idea. Unity is needed. If we're to ever get anywhere, and in fact, I will state that if we do not unify, we're headed to chaos. That's just the, the reality of human nature. To isolate yourself is going to go against your own psychological health. To become a community that is not unified is going to break down. A house divided against itself can't stand. Hmm. The question is, how do we unify? Not can we unify or should we unify? Because the reality is every positive change that has ever happened, you think of the civil rights movement, was through a unity, through an idea. Absolutely. A massive group. And think of the amazing benefits, the amazing change that has happened in our country. Think of the founding fathers. When they unified under the idea of freedom and yeah. liberty, you think of the the, the uh, original pilgrims coming under the understanding of religious freedom, uniting under that flag. 
unity is the only way we move forward. The question is, how do we appropriately, how do we successfully unify in a way that is not damaging mm-hmm. to the parties involved, in a way that is approved um, in and from a Christian perspective by a holy God? Yeah. And so we're going to be talking about this within the Christian Judeo realm. Um, and so if you're outside of that realm and you're listening to this, I think there are great things in what's about to follow that um, you can definitely apply, and perhaps you can view it, um, you can look back at the history of your own belief system or your own non-belief system, for those of you that are atheists, and you might be able to track the same things with some of your founding, not founding, I guess, but uh, yeah, sort of founding fathers or, or, or church fathers, religious fathers, whatever, ancestors, um, you might be able to track some of these kind of same principles with them or identify different ones that match whatever belief system you're in. So, um, Andrew, take us through the four different groups um, and uh, that we're talking about in the Bible and that compare from then to now. Absolutely. Um, the big, one of the biggest premises of my book and foundational understandings is realizing that the same groups that are waiting for Christ's second return today are the same groups that were waiting for his first return back in uh, 2,000 years ago. Um, first, we had the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These are the two most famous religious groups of uh, biblical times that we hear about. They were the two members of the Sanhedrin, uh, the religious Jewish council. And so these two groups, they, uh, they differed quite distinctly. The Sadducees did not believe in the supernatural. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in a resurrection from the dead. They did not believe in anything of the supernatural with the exception of their holy God. So because of that understanding, if you believe there is no tomorrow, you live for today. They were often very rich. They were often very corrupt. They were often hedonists who basically were just doing their best within their community to live their best life now. Okay. And as we reflect on that today, there's a similar group within the church and in the world at large that live that way, that really don't want to go deep into any type of real supernatural thinking. They'd rather live in the present, live in the moment, live on the surface, and use the community, the Christian community, the whatever religious community you're part of, even non-religious, for simple personal gain and enjoyment. Okay, so this would be like people who would claim to be Christians, but then you see, everything you see about their life is not, but then all of a sudden you'll see them post like, oh, God is so good to me right now. Or, hashtag blessed. Yeah, yeah, hashtag blessed. And it's like, wait a minute, you don't, like, I hate to say like you're a hypocrite, but like... It's very weird to see how people expect the blessings of God, but then live in a way that like completely disregards him. Functional atheism, basically. Absolutely. Um, it's nominal Christianity, I would yeah. say, is the reverse side of what you just said. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's people who enjoy the Christian community, but by one reason or another, whether it be through their own doubt, through a negative experience in the church, through whatever you have you, they like the idea of this community, but they don't believe in a God a functional God, at least, that is active in their lives. Okay, I can see that. All right, so so that was... The Sadducees, the Pharisees, which are the second group within the Sanhedrin, uh, were very, very different. They did believe in the supernatural. They believed in angels. They believed in the resurrection from the dead. But they believed that they were going to be given the rewards of heaven and the rewards in this life through acts of purity, Um, through not only obeying the Torah, or what we would call the first five books of Moses, um, but also through following the oral traditions of the rabbis. So think of it this way. Not only were they following what the Bible said, but they're also following their local pastor's way of understanding the Bible. 
and they made rules upon rules upon rules to make sure they didn't even come close to breaking the original rule. And it was like an, an entire system based on fear, based on guilt, based on competition to make yourself better than someone else because whoever was the best, the most pure, the most righteous, the most holy was going to get rewarded the most. And so it was an extreme competition. So in this system, I win is what we're saying. Yes. In gotcha. this, yes, yes, basically. That's that's because I'm so great at everything that I, I'm just kidding. Ryan, you are the Pharisee of Pharisees. And I'm, I'm the Pharisee of Pharisees. You're the fairest of Pharisees. I am the fairest of Pharisees. And uh, if you look at our world today, um, and I'm not going to call out any specific groups of people, but I will call out an ideology, and that is last-generation theology. Um, and if, for those of you who aren't familiar with last-generation theology, it is the understanding that Jesus is waiting for a generation of perfect people who are sinless for him to return, which, as you can imagine, um, for That's those of you... a lot of waiting. Who can, <laughs> those of you who can imagine... Um, understanding human nature that that is a very tall order, a very tall task. Um, and to, for someone to actually think they can attain that requires a lot of arrogance in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and then the question becomes, all right, if, if he's waiting on a generation of people to rise up, uh, whose definition of a generation are we going with? Absolutely. That millennials uh, themselves are like, like three or four different age ranges. Right. Sharing, a, sharing just a quick story with you, uh, when I was about 16, I was part of this medical missionary training as a part of my health class. And at the end, I went to give my speech, and I was wearing a tie, um, try to be as formal as I could. And a man came to me and said, you shouldn't wear ties because they are immoral and they are wrong. Whereas another man had just told me that ties were okay. And I remember thinking to myself, well, how pure is pure? By what standard is purity going to be based so on? Just I use the Ryan Becker model. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You I have just, definitely made my fair share of mistakes. You just absolutely. You come to and and having been in there in that that mindset, I was only in that mindset, uh, like what I would say officially for about four months. It was it was exhausting. It's exhausting mm-hmm. to feel like you have to be perfect, and if you make one mistake, God's going to throw you out. Uh, it was just it was just extremely difficult. And I can totally understand why you would want to put others down so you can feel better about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And I think, I think you touched on something there in that story that is big, which is sin All sin very often happens to be subjective. Um, things that lead you into sin might be different than things that lead me into sin. Um, there might be a certain branch of music that actually brought me closer to Christ, whereas for you, it might lead you further away from him. Um, I think sin tends to be not all the time, but in in many cases, it tends to be something that's very subjective. So when you're talking about a, a generation that's sinless and perfect, well, that becomes impossible to p- define. By whose definition? Yeah, by whose definition. If a tie is sinful to one person and sinless to another, who's right? Right, and you come to an understanding, it's very, very similar to what the Jews are doing today. There is many, many different sects of Judaism that believe that the Messiah will come when one Jew performs the Torah perfectly for one day. Mm. That is their, a, a good portion of their belief system. And so when you consider the fact that that is how they believe, we have become very functionally the way the Jews were in our waiting for the second coming instead of the first coming. But functionally, it's virtually the same religious belief. Yeah, absolutely. And this, this tends to be an easier trap for people to fall in if they've converted to Christianity from something that was 
like a really deep dark pit of some addiction or anything like that. Like, right. like this legalism side, I'm I'm earning my way into heaven because I'm changing my life around. That tends to be the kind of trap that newer Christians fall into. Absolutely, and and I just want to clarify that this is not a bash on Judaism. There are many many faithful Jews that are following their their beliefs to the best of their understanding, and it's not to bash on that. It's just to bash on the not legalistic. Jewish people are awesome. Jews Jews are great. It's to bash on the, the legalistic understanding and system and how okay. difficult and damaging that is emotionally, psychologically, and what it is to the church. If you let it run your life, absolutely. And coming back to the bigger thing of unity before we move on, when you are trying to maintain a standard of holiness, and as we've just stated, it's very subjective, how can you unify? Yeah, for real. Because once again, it is subjective. So, all right. So let's go through the moving, moving forward. Yes. Yeah. Let's. Well, yeah. What are the What are the next The two? next two groups that we're going to go over are the Essenes and the Zealots. The Essenes were groups that believed that the religious system of the Jews, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. One second. Can you spell that so that when someone inevitably Google's it, they yes. know how to. The Essenes are spelled E S S E N E S. If Google says, "Did you mean?" Let me know so that I can make fun of Andrew for misspelling it, because I'm, I think he spelled it right. <laughs> so the Essenes were a group that believed that the Jews had become too corrupt. Um, they were Jews themselves, but they believed that the system within the temple had gone so corrupt that there was no hope for it. So they went into the wilderness to form their own individual communities. And today, through a lot of different non-denominational churches, through a lot of different uh, churches within Adventism as well, on the very far conservative end, for those of you who are Adventists listening to this podcast, we have independent ministries that believe the same ideology. You'll also find this in people that will often say, I am spiritual but not religious. What they're saying is, I am sick of the corrupt system. And what their belief is that unity isn't worth the cost of hypocrisy and dealing with imperfect people is really what is functionally being said. Gotcha. Okay, and then the last group. And the last group are the zealots. The zealots believed in, uh, in, and the word zealot comes from zeal. It comes from zeal for the, for the law. And basically, there's, these were people who believed that it was their religious imperative to throw off political systems that restricted their freedom. And today, you see a large group of people who, in the name of the gospel, preach liberation theology, which is a liberation from a social oppression power. And I think functionally today, there are many, many people that I've heard, at least, that believe if Jesus were here today, he would be fighting President Trump. That is their religious imperative, their religious understanding. But on, and on the flip side, you have people who believe that Jesus would be fighting with President Trump. Absolutely. Like, like, like on the same side as him. So you've got people who believe both sides of that. On the flip side of the same coin. Liberating from deep state or liberating from Trump state. There's, you know, it's, it's one or the other. Absolutely. Coming back to the <laughs> twilight analogy. Unfortunately, we're going to go back there. Um, team Edward or team Jacob. We're canceling this episode. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> team Edward or team Jacob. You get to this point where you're picking a side here. And this is what happens when you believe that a unity needs to be based on a political ideological system, which I'm going to argue is not the case and is not what is going to unify us ultimately together to form some sort of positive social change. Mm, okay, fair. So um, we've, we've touched a little bit on kind of what those groups look like today with last generation theology, those who are big on liberation theology. Um, would you say that these, these groups tend to be for extremes um, of those? So like those who are big in liberation theology, especially in social justice movements, um, 
for me personally, I think there's a lot of good in social justice movements and the social justice gospel. Um, I wouldn't say that it at its most extreme is, is balanced, but at least for the most part, I'm kind of, I get it. Um, so would you say that these are kind of the personification of the extremes of some of these things? Or would you say that um, no matter who you are, you probably fall into one of these four camps? I would absolutely say they're part of the extremes. And I would not only okay. say that, but I'd say they are the extremes of a good intention. Because I do oh, believe. Absolutely. absolutely. I do believe it is the religious imperative and our human imperative to fight oppression and injustice. I believe that's a biblical concept. I believe that's a humanistic concept. I believe it's not just something that should be shot down to its extreme. Now, when taken to its extreme, it becomes its own form of oppression, which is contradictory in its terms, and they end up becoming the enemy they're fighting. Gotcha. Okay, that's and, fair. And a similar understanding, uh, does God want us to live better lives, live more pure lives? Absolutely. The problem is the focus. That is not God's ultimate imperative. That is not God's ultimate form for unity. Does God want us to live happy lives now? Absolutely. When we see communities that are corrupt and terrible, should it abhor us? Should it make us angry and upset? Absolutely. The problem is, is when you put the focus there as primary and use that as a unifying ideology. So then what do you say is God's ultimate imperative here? And this is where we're getting at the core of what, um, what I believe is the purpose of what we need to be going towards. And that is a humility-based understanding that puts the other person ahead of your own and unifies in one figure, and that is Jesus Christ. Not a political ideology, not a religious ideology, but a historical, spiritual person. Okay, I can see that. But we're still, so we're still back to where I said, you're still, there's still some unifying, usually it's like iconoclasm, so, or, or, or some sort of icon, and in this case it would be Jesus, um, in the Christian world. Absolutely. Um, and obviously Christians want this for everyone. Um, and the idea being that even on a kind of basic moral level, if, you know, in or outside of religion, the teachings of Jesus are pretty good. Like, I, they're, exactly. They're, they're, they're pretty good. I mean, they're pretty fantastic when you consider the concept hard. of loving your enemy. It's not about simplicity. I no. would, I would, and I would hope that some of them you don't take literally. Otherwise, there's some people with millstones tied around their neck. There's some people gouging out their own <laughs> eyes. Like... No, absolutely not. Jesus was a good use. He had some good use of hyperbole. And where I would translate that for my non-Christian friends listening to this is love being your unifying factor. Love is, by my definition, putting someone else's needs above your own. Not easy to do. Not easy to do. And not altruism where you disregard your own What if? But what if my need is to put someone else above my own need? Okay, Ryan. Now you're going in circles. <laughs> <laughs> I just gotta get you. I gotta get gotta get there with that gotcha question, All that right. gotcha Thank journalism. You, but it's the concept. So how do we do this functionally? Um, I think going into the social justice arena because it's something that is very prevalent in our culture today. There's a difference between remittance and reconciliation. Remittance states you want to be granted penance and you want to be granted payment for what has been done to you. Reconciliation is you want to connect and bridge the gap that has been formed through anger and hurt and pain. And there's a massive difference. Should remittance also be included? Sure. And sometimes remittance is necessary. But a focus on reconciliation versus a focus on remittance when it comes to social justice is the only way we're going to actually make positive change. One of the biggest things that frustrates me today 
is I see people fighting for social justice using arguments that only gets people who already agree with them. If we actually want to affect change in our world, we need to start learning to speak the language of our enemies. We need to start learning how, if we're fighting racism, for example, how can we learn to speak the language of a racist so they can understand the difference, so we can fight the ignorance that is within them, so we can fight evil with love, right? It's not about bashing them until they finally submit to our understanding. Where has that gotten us thus far? That's fair. I can see that. I mean, and I've talked a little bit about this on back in season one when we were doing seasons. Um, I did a solo episode, a couple solo episodes on listening, and I basically said, and 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 I've also done episodes on social protests, and I basically said, be careful of falling into the pitfalls of your enemies, or the pitfalls that make you your enemies, um, because if if you're fighting, like this is something I don't get within the area of social justice and, and racism, in 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 a bid to end racism and bring an end to racism um there are those who are being racist inherently um and falling into the same microaggression trap maybe towards other races not necessarily please understand i'm not talking about reverse racism i'm talking about like literally just racism across the board um even if you're someone who doesn't believe that black people can be racist to white people um, I would argue that black people can certainly be racist to Hispanic to, or to Spanish people, to Latin people, to, uh, to Asian people and vice versa. I, I you can be racist to, to race. Um, so I, 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 to, to most races. So it's like, um, if you're doing, if you're hating on the same people that you're wanting to love you, then it, it, to me, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And, and if you're telling me that you want equality, Right. If you're going to tell me I want equality between races or I want equality between sexes, but then I'm also going to make you feel the way that I felt or the way that you've made me feel. Okay. So what equality do you want? <clears throat> what, what, what equality do you want? Do you want the equality that says we both feel like trash or do you want the equality that says we both feel great? Absolutely. And I think a good example of that is the pro-life advocates who will go and bomb pro-life cl- or pro-choice abortion clinics. It makes no sense. You're fighting for life by killing. It's the same contradictory concept where I'm fighting feeling horrible and being oppressed by oppressing. One of, one of my favorite examples of this, unfortunately, to use another film, is The Hunger Games, the finale, when this, instead of shooting... Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, yeah. Instead of killing Snow, her nemesis throughout the series, she kills Coin, the other leader. And appropriately named, she's the flip side of the same coin. Because they're trading in one system of oppression for another system of oppression. Mm. That is just simply doing the same thing in a different way for a different group of people in power. So um, when we talk reconciliation, what would be the what, what do you think would be an identifying difference that someone is trying to reconcile instead of just look for remittance? On a practical level, I would it means listening to the other side's arguments. It means being patient to understand your enemy, being intentional about talking, seeking people out doing good for those who are actively seeking to hurt you. So if, to use a practical example, going into the South as a black man, finding someone who is racist of the white variety and doing something good for them, that to me shows reconciliation where you want them not necessarily to change their mindset for the sake of changing mindset, but you generally want them to live a better life by having a different mindset for their benefit not for your benefit, for the benefit of your children, not the benefit of your life. 
in my opinion, understanding reconciliation is recognizing that we live in this world. It's not about us. It's about making a better world for our kids. It's making a better world for our grandkids. It's creating bridges right now that are awkward, that are painful, that are frustrating. So that way our kids think it's normal. I think um, uh, I've, I've used this reference before too. This I've, I've said this on this podcast before that I will use this reference like as long as I live. It's the greatest thing. Daryl Davis is the perfect example of reconciliation and racism, specifically racism, where um, Daryl Davis, jazz musician, I believe, um, has befriended, he's become famous not only for being a musician, but now for befriending several members of the KKK and causing them to change their mind. This is a black musician who's walked into KKK territory befriended white people and then convinced them through friendship and relationship to stop being a part of the KKK and, and ending races literally one at a time. Um, this is, this is, I think on a practical level, what you're talking about. Absolutely. That's um, exactly what I'm talking about. It's not about. just a random act of kindness, but seeking to actively build relationships with the other. Um, I think that's huge. I, I was, I, we were sitting at uh, breakfast earlier today and I was talking with a friend of mine who normally when I talk with him, um, he's teaching me about racism and, and social racial issues. I'm not trying to make this all about race, but right now this is the first thing that's coming to my mind. Um, but today it was very weird. Um, he found out I was half Cuban. And one of the things that I struggle with is the fact that I don't speak Spanish. And so there are people, and I've never been to Cuba, but my mom was born in Cuba. Um, she's completely fluent. My grandmother came from Cuba over here as well. Like um, I'm, America, I was born in the States, never been over there, never spoken Spanish, but like my family is Cuban. My, I have a whole half of my family that's Cuban. Um, there's a lot of the culture I definitely understand and, and embrace. Um, but for all intents and for all intents and purposes, I'm a white guy. Um, but one of the things I experience on a regular basis is someone will find out I'm half Spanish, half Cuban or half, half Cuban, half German. And they'll say, Oh, do you speak Spanish? And I'll say, no, I don't. I had the opportunity to learn when I was a kid, but I fought against it and I didn't. I say, oh, well, then you're not really a Cuban. You don't speak Spanish. Not a single person that I can recollect has ever asked me if you speak German. If I speak German. Absolutely. And then question my German identity. The only right. one they question is the Spanish one. And they and then they completely dismiss that half of my identity. They completely they say, You're not Spanish, as if you get to decide what's in my heritage. And then I have the right. I think to be offended if someone is making fun of Cubans because you're making fun of my mom, you're making fun of half of me, you're making fun of my grandmother, my grandfather, absolutely, uh, who I have massive respect for um, and I love. So there's there's this thing where I've I've definitely experienced personal racism, but I can't identify systemically because for all intents and purposes, when you see me, you assume I'm a white guy, and I I mark Caucasian down whenever I take a test or fill out an application, government stuff. Like I do fill out Caucasian. I'm not going to try to identify as something more beyond than what I can. Um, Absolutely. But it was interesting to see this man who's taught me so much about racism and racial injustice and, and, and the way he's experienced it systemically and otherwise um, for him then to say, I'm in total ignorance here and I'm listening and learning from you. It was just this weird moment where I was the teacher. It was very strange. <laughs> it was very, very strange as I talked to him about Cuban cultures and I talked to him about my experiences as well. And he's like, wow, I, you know, I didn't think of it that way, whatever. It was just crazy uh, for that to happen. And that's reconciliation is always putting yourself in the position of a student, always humbling yourself. And I think humility yes. is key in reconciliation yes. specifically. Absolutely. And you know, coming from a mother who's Puerto Rican, yet being Caucasian as well, I had similar experiences like you did. 
Um, and it's very interesting because it really depended on which culture I was with and which race group I was with. Mm. Um, and for most of my life, I identified as Hispanic because my, both my parents are half. And so I considered myself half Hispanic, and that was mo- very much the culture I grew up in. But when I moved to the South as a 20-year-old, I had to identify as Caucasian and white only because that was the world I was in, and it was irresponsible of me not to because of the fact that I was going with the current and I was experiencing the benefits of a system that was oppressing people who were not of my color. Mm. Yeah, see, so so it, it, it is a complicated thing. It's never simple. I don't think there's like a single instance where this kind of thing is simple. Tongue-in-cheek, it's not black and white. No, sin is messy, grab a mop. Go, go figure. Um, Absolutely, but to go back off of what you said on humility, which is why I believe this is the unifying core ideology, because when you consider it in every one of the groups that we mentioned, when you, when you want to take that principle of, of reconciliation, of putting someone else above yourself to being the learner, and you apply it towards listening to people who you disagree with on any level. When you consider the people who are or the Pharisees of today, if you will, the ones who believe in, in being perfect, and you let them be perfect. Well, where's the competition now? Yeah, You have a, effectively broken down their system of oppression. Mm. You've broken down that barrier where all of a sudden now their barriers are going down because they don't need to be perfect around you. Because it's unnecessary. Absolutely. There is no one-upmanship when you let them one-up you. You break it down. (laughs) The system falls apart with humility. Let's consider the different group. When you consider someone who wants to get ahead of you because they want a better life now and you let them, again, cognitive dissonance in their head where all of a sudden this person who's by all intents and purposes supposed to fight you trying to get the best seat, you trying to get the best whatever, and you let them, there's a, an understanding psychologically, why did this happen? This was undeserved. Mm-hmm. And while they will more than likely, if this is their ideology, take advantage and take advantage and take advantage, it will come to a point where even they have to consider what is going on here. Yeah, And this, this extends to everything. This extends to all people we disagree with. When we can come to a point where I can come to you, you are a different whatever. You name it. Think homosexuality. When we come to understanding of, I want to listen to your perspective, can you explain to me your struggle? This is the only way we're going to find reconciliation in the church with homosexuality, with racial oppression, with you name it, put the X, whatever it is. This is how we unify, is by saying, I might be wrong, explain to me your position. That is how we get things done. That is how we will grow and how we will make change. Do you think there's a chance you're wrong in that? Absolutely. (laughs) So, so um, back in October, I got to listen, I got to attend one project, and I, Sam Leonor gave a, a great message on um, cycles of anger, cycles of pain, uh, injustice. And he basically talked about how in order for injustice and evil to end, there has to be someone that stops and absorbs that train. So if you, if you picture this like, uh, the way that I would picture it is like a game of hot potato where you're actually using a hot potato. If you've never played hot potato... Uh, the premise is you have an object and like there's it's like kind of like musical chairs like there's usually music or some sort of timer playing um, and you have an object you're standing in a circle with people and you're passing it um, maybe to the right so you're passing it counterclockwise let's say um, and you're trying to be the one without the potato at the end or the object at the end of the time the end of the, when the music stops whatever um, but if you're playing with a legitimate hot potato then you're trying to not be the one burning um, 
Now, in in cycles of anger, if it, let's let's pretend that game is being played with a bunch of angry people who are angry at the per, you're angry at the person next to you that you have to pass to, and you want them to feel what you feel, and so you're saying I want I don't want to hold this potato anymore, but I want you to feel what I feel, so I'm going to give you this potato that's burning hot. Um, I'm going to hand you this Starbucks coffee that's burning hot because I want you to feel in your hands the same pain that I'm feeling. But if someone sit, if someone, the only way that cycle ends is if someone says, no, despite how I feel about the person to my right, the person to my left, I'm not going to pass the pain that was given to me. I love that. That is, that's incredible. And it's so true. Um, the cliche is, is true. Damaged people, damaged people. Absolutely. Hurt people, hurt people. Um, typically most, uh, abusers in domestic violence cases were abused themselves. Most cases of molestation were by people who were molested themselves because when you experience that pain, you experience that trauma, whatever it may be, you pass it on. Mm -hmm. That is the reality. But if we're to break these chains of anger, of frustration, of abuse in whatever capacity, not just physical, emotional, psychological, uh, systemic, if we're to break these cycles, we have to say it ends with me. Yeah. I'm not going to take this anger, this hatred, and I'm not going to push it forward. I can still fight for injustice and not hate people. Absolutely. I can still fight to be a good person, be pure, and not hate people. I can still fight to live my best life now and not hate people. I can still fight for a pure and perfect community and not hate people. That's what we have to come to the understanding. I don't have to fight with for my ideology while breaking down someone else's. I can still advocate for what I believe in while not breaking down the ideology of someone else. Now, we're talking specific people. We're not talking ideological groups, because if so, then I'm a hypocrite right now. We're talking people. I can, in conversation, hear you out, listen to what you're saying, and completely disagree with you, Mm -hmm. and still respect you as a person and not hate you. That's the reality. We need to learn to disagree well. Mm-hmm. We need to learn to sit down with with a peop, with any group of people we disagree with and be able to say, I want, I choose, I choose to hold this potato of anger, to hold this whatever it is that you've just thrown at me that makes me upset, that I disagree with, that I'm frustrated with, and retain it. And when we can learn to do that, when everyone can learn to do that, we can group together and have that unity we've been talking about. Yeah. Well, and I think I think every analogy breaks down somewhere, right? But I think in, in in this specific analogy of hot potato, you've got kind of two options, right? You either pass it or you hold it. You also drop it, I guess. But um, <laughs> then no one gets to eat the potato. So, um, but if you hold on to it, you don't want it to keep burning you. So you're not just choosing to hold on to something and carry it with you the rest of your life. You're choosing to do whatever it takes to cool that potato off so it doesn't hurt you anymore. Absolutely. And it can't hurt someone else. So this is akin to if you're, some, if you're a victim of parental abuse... Instead of you taking that anger and that hurt and abusing your kid when you become a parent, instead it says, "No, I'm going to go to therapy. I'm going to talk with. I'm going to pray about this. Whatever it is, I'm going to do the. I'm going to take the steps necessary in my life to make sure that this is cooled off and I don't pass it on." Absolutely. Um, when I was an undergrad, I was studying social work and I was working with teens who were victims of abuse or neglect in some way. Uh, they were one step away from juvie or jail, depending on their age. And I was working with each of them. And at that time, I'd gone through a pretty vicious breakup. 
And I chose to keep it within. I chose not to tell them because we were focusing on their issues. They kept asking me questions about her, wanting to know how we were doing, if we'd gone on a date, if I was going to propose anytime soon. And it was a vicious breakup. And I just smiled and said, no. My very last day with them, we, uh, we were discussing abuse. We were discussing the very core of what we'd been going through this entire time. And a former prostitute came in to share her story and her testimony. And at the end, I asked all of them, I said, how many of you believe that God loves me more than you? And all of them raised their hand. I took out a credit card and I said, how much is on this? They told me whatever you've put on it, naturally. I stepped on (laughs) it. I said, how many of you want it? And they all raised their hand. So I stepped on it and I said, how many of you want it now? I put it in my armpit, and I said, how many of you want it now? Has its value changed? And all of them said no. And then I explained to them, and this is where I'm getting at. I explained to them. That there was a credit card machine in your armpit, and <laughs> no. you were swiping, and the value did change. Yes, it did. <laughs> no, I told them that I had broken up with my ex. And I told them because sometimes love is expressing your difficulty and communicating that out. I said, but sometimes it's letting it go so that you can help other people. So you can focus on other people's needs. And with tears running down all their all their cheeks, they came and gave me the biggest hug ever. Because I explained to them that I had put my needs aside to take care of them. And that is what I'm talking about here. That is what we're talking about. This is the reconciliation. I had nothing, I had no beef against these girls. But I recognized that there was pain in there that I needed to put ahead of my own. Hmm. And that's and this is where we're talking about. Yes, and the analogy of the of the hot potato does break down because you need to to cool it in some way. And for a Christian, where I find that is putting all those in my devotional, in my spiritual journey with God, and recognizing the fact I don't need to hold on to these things. I don't need to hold on to them because they don't need to weigh me down. And obviously, it's not uh, as simplistic as that at times. Sometimes it, it requires therapy. Sometimes it requires struggle and serious, difficult times. Mm. Because at the end of the day, we fight against. I fight against my own nature to want to be first, to want to have that thing, to want my anger to be spread. But if we desire to have a better world, if we desire this unity, we have to recognize it starts not with the other person, it starts with me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think, and I I love that we're kind of like wrapping a gift and this is the bow on top that we've ended here. And really, we only both have like four lines of notes. Um, But true reconciliation always ends in unity. Absolutely. True. It doesn't... And here's the thing: unity does not mean uniformity. It doesn't mean you think the same. It doesn't mean you act the same. It may not even. It may even mean that you. Let's say you're you're in a protest or like a march, right? It may mean that you're not actually walking next to the person you've reconciled with. They may be on the other side of the of the street, marching, still in the same group as you, but you two aren't still together, right? Like reconciliation doesn't necessarily mean the full restoration of a broken relationship, except in the case of you and Jesus Christ, or me and Jesus Christ. Um, Sometimes reconciliation means amicably and peaceably resolving things and under in a full understanding of each other. But um, true reconciliation does always end in unity because it means that either you're both unified in the fact that you're going in different directions or you're unified in the fact that you're going in the same direction. Um, either way, there's unity because there's peace. And, and unity, I think, does bring peace within the group that's unified. Absolutely. Um, so to wrap it up here on my end, being of one mind does not mean being of one opinion. And we need to come to that understanding. Being of one mind means recognizing together that I'm putting you first. So we need to be of the same opinion 
that unity is not of the same opinion. Yes, absolutely. We need to have that. So there are some things that you have to have the same opinion in. There are no absolutes, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) I love semantics. Yes. No, I I agree with you. But coming to that place and, and when you, when you decide to put someone else ahead of your own, that's what reconciliation is all about. Yeah. It's recognizing the fact that, you know what? I may be right by all intents and purposes. I may believe that I'm absolutely right, but it's not about the being right or being wrong. It's about the relationship. And when we can come to that place together and we can come and grow in that reconciliation, that will lead to the unity. That will That is the one mind that the Bible talks about. That is the one mind that if we're going to come, it's not by tolerance. That's what people don't understand. Because you can tolerate people that you never want to be around and you can never understand. But reconciliation means diving in. It's an active process of being with people that you either A, disagree with, B, don't understand, or C, genuinely hate. And when we can learn to get to that point with people, that is when we will achieve unity. And that is what we must achieve because we know that that unity is a requirement of society. And that is what is a requirement, it is a requirement of the church as well. Well, uh, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, while we were recording this, several uh, people wrote in, uh, all by the name of Ryan Becker, who said we would love to have you on the podcast again whenever you want to come back on. So our listener, a huge portion of our listeners, uh, really want you on again. Anytime you want to come on, you just let me know. Uh, but I really appreciate your opinions, uh, your perspectives, and I appreciate your friendship. Um, you've been a huge influence on my life, for better or for worse. I think it's for better. Um, and I'm really, really glad that, uh, to call you one of my best friends. Ryan, it's, it's my pleasure, man. I love you, bro. It's been real. I'll be happy to come on again. We hope you really enjoyed this episode of Absurdity. Thank you so much for listening. If you've still made it to this point, um, I really want to do something special. Typically, uh, we just started doing this, so it's not really typically, um, but I did just start uh, reading some of our reviews out loud as they come in, and there's one that stood out to me big time, and I want to give this person a huge shout out for this because this review... Um, I don't know if she just kind of threw words together or whatever, but it's exactly what I'm trying to do on this podcast. And it is from someone named Stephanie. And she said, thanks for making a podcast that discusses issues on topics that are hard to discuss with the older generations of SDAs and other Christians. Some discussions make me uncomfortable and in turn make me think more deeply about what I believe and I think is helping me grow as a person, as a Christian, and as a helper. Stephanie, that is exactly what I'm trying to do. I do hope that, and I pray whenever we do these episodes that they don't come across as I'm just trying to, uh, you know, be inflammatory or make people uncomfortable for shock value. That's not it at all. I really want to talk about things that matter and talk about things that aren't being talked about enough. And so thank you so much for listening. Honestly, like I came really close to crying reading that because that's exactly what I'm trying to do. And it is just so encouraging to me to see that. So thank you, Stephanie, for that review. And um, I'll continue reading reviews as we have them. There's a few more in the queue, but I'm not going to take any more of your time today. If you want to subscribe to Absurdity, we are on iTunes, Stitcher, any podcasting app that you can pretty much think of. Just search The Absurdity with Ryan Becker, or you can search my name and find it, as well as you can find the other two podcasts that I'm involved with, The Dip and The Lead Podcast with Roger Hernandez. So uh, also, please leave a review on iTunes, if you will. It really helps me out, and you'll be entered if you do it by May 1st uh, for a giveaway for a $50 Amazon gift card. It's free money for something that takes probably 20, 30 seconds, maybe. So why not give it a shot? 
We have a Patreon if you want to support this financially in any way, patreon.com slash absurditypodcast. Here is the rest of Untitled slash Give Me Jesus by Jordan Putt. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next week. In the morning when I rise, get out of bed, run my eyes, and wonder how I'm gonna make it through the day. Cause the weeks go by like seconds, the days go by like months, before I get a chance to breathe, a new one has begun. Won't you soothe my troubled mind so I can get some rest? Cause I've given up pretending that I'm the one who knows what's best. You said, Come to me with your burdens if you're weary.
please don't cry. Cause I'll have killed myself a thousand times before. To be reborn a better man, I will die by my own hand. And I will crucify my mind to be at peace. Won't you soothe my troubled mind so I can get some rest? Cause I'm giving up pretending that I'm the one who knows what's best. You said, Come to me with your burdens. If you're weary, I will love you. It's been weighing on my mind. It's been weighing on. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.